Hello and welcome to the Moving Curve. I'm Rukmini, a data journalist based in Chennai. Twice a week on this mini cast, I consider one question around the novel coronavirus epidemic in India. Tonight I'm considering this one. What can a big survey India conducted in 2017 to understand dengue teach us about COVID-19? It's day 190 of the novel coronavirus epidemic in India. and we are reporting 198254 cases with 39795 deaths in the last few weeks sero prevalence has become an important part of the indian conversation with some findings from at least two city wide surveys in delhi and in mumbai being made public in the next episode i have a long interview with professor ullas kolthur and professor sandeep juneja two scientists at the Tata Institute of Fundamental Research who led the Mumbai Sero Prevalence Survey which i think is the best such survey we've had so far and you'll see why in the interview the reason we're talking so much about sero prevalence is because with a fast spreading disease that has a high rate of asymptomatic cases there is a sense that the virus may have spread far wider than testing which is centered around symptomatic people can pick up If the virus is spreading particularly fast in some areas like in high density low income housing then that could inform our policy push if it is spreading faster in some demographic segments then that can mean the need to tweak strategy and finally it's important to know how close we are getting to herd immunity which until now was something we were believed to be a long way from the mumbai survey goes some distance in answering some of these questions but not all One of the things I've been wondering about is this: How is it that we haven't had sero surveys in the past? Trying to answer this led me to a remarkable survey that India conducted in 2017 to understand the prevalence of dengue. The findings of which were published in a peer-reviewed paper in the Lancet in 2019. The survey was led by Dr. Manoj Murhekar, director of the National Institute of Epidemiology, and I'm very grateful to him for speaking to me for this podcast. I asked him first if a large national sero survey of the sort that he led for dengue was unusual. The dengue survey collected blood samples from a randomized sample of 12,300 individuals in 60 districts of 15 Indian states. Is this sort of uh, sero prevalence survey of the sort that you led for dengue is that unusual or have we done that before for any major communicable diseases? well i at least i don't know uh, i don't remember that uh, such a nationwide survey has been done okay um, to estimate the, the burden due to any infectious disease right when survey was right. done for tb long back in 1955 where uh, again it was a nationwide survey mm-hmm. and now uh, i don't know whether you are aware uh, a similar effort is being ongoing to estimate the burden due to tb the perspective of someone like dr murhekar i think is vital right now particularly since so many of us are coming into this pandemic with pretty short memories about india's disease environment the dengue survey found that 50% of the sample population had dengue antibodies for instance and i think that's useful perspective right now it also found that 75% of these infections were asymptomatic another thing that puts sars cov2 in better perspective but the dengue survey was materially different from current surveys like the mumbai one in a few different ways one is that it aimed to be as close to nationally representative as possible 
compared to say the Mumbai one which divides sample wards into low prevalence, moderate prevalence and high prevalence ones. These differences are to a large extent driven by the purpose of the survey. The Dengue survey was aimed at preparing the groundwork for a vaccine. In 2016, the WHO recommended that high burden countries start giving the Dengvaxia vaccine developed by Sanofi Pasteur and there were some key things India needed to understand about Dengue seroprevalence before it could do that. When this uh, Dengue Vaxia, the Sanofi's Dengue vaccine came, Hmm. It was, uh, I mean, WHO has recommended that uh, countries uh, do this zero surveys because the vaccine was recommended in populations which already had some level of immunity against the virus. I see. So, uh, so that's why uh, the initial recommendation in 2016 was that population where the zero prevalence is at least 70 percent, hmm. they should introduce the vaccine. And then in the subsequent year, they again changed the recommendation. Mm. to say that uh, if the seroprevalence is uh, 80% or more, mm. uh, such population should should uh, get vaccinated. Mm. They also change this vaccination strategy uh, to test and vaccinate. So to test the individual and if he is seropositive, only then uh, he or she should, uh, the, the person should receive vaccine. So, uh, yeah, so that was a change because... Uh, uh, because that is how this vaccine will work. It will confer protection uh, against uh, other serotypes of the virus. I see. So, yeah. So even if uh, we find very high prevalence uh, in certain uh, regions uh, mm. or certain states, mm. but we don't know whether, uh, uh, I mean, even vaccination in such population can, can give protection against other serotypes. Right. Because in dengue, uh, particularly, like uh, inf infection with other serotype, if person is already seropositive mm. with one serotype, and if he gets infection with another serotype, the next infection can be can be severe. Right. Uh, and right. therefore, the, the secondary the secondary infections are are more severe in nature. Right. So, so that that may not be the case here in case of uh, SARS-CoV-2. So if a survey is not being conducted as vaccine preparation, as the current sero surveys are, what then does it really tell us? I asked Dr. Murhekar. What really can a sero survey that shows high levels of prevalence, what, can it, what useful information can it give us when we are not using it as a directly actionable thing for vaccines? What should we, what is useful from it? Yeah, I mean... One main thing which uh, uh, the, the SARS-CoV-2 zero surveys uh, will indicate is what proportion of your population has already been exposed to the virus. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so basically what is the zero prevalence in different population groups. Right. Then it can, like, uh, uh, it can also give an indication whether, uh, whether a particular level of zero prevalence if it is achieved in a population, can it lead to uh, herd immunity and can it lead to reduction in number of cases? Right. I mean, uh, in, in places like uh, in Mumbai where the very high prevalence has been reported like 57% and all. Right. So if we also correlated that with the, the pattern of uh, RT-PCR positive cases mm -hmm. and if they, are, they, are, they show a declining trend, then that can give us a confidence that yes, at this at this level of immunity, hmm. or at this level of zero prevalence, we ex we are going to or we are bound to uh, expect a reduction in number of cases. I see. So I mean, there are there are uh, I mean at least some models which say that at uh, 
I mean, with R zero, we need at least sixty to sixty-five percent of uh, population to be exposed to SARS-CoV-2 right. in order to have a herd effect. But there are models which you which say that even at a lower level, you may get uh, reduction in or, or reduced transmission. So, okay. so in that context, serial surveys will certainly be useful. What the Mumbai survey can tell us is what we'll look at in an upcoming episode. But for now, I'm grateful for the institutional knowledge that people like Dr. Murhekar bring to understanding the pandemic. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Anand Krishnamurthy. In the next episode, a new question.